Morning, Grace. Mark chapter 4. Mark contains a pretty lengthy teaching block by Jesus where he begins teaching in parables, and that's what we'll see in our passage today. And here's how the parables work in Scripture. They are like postcards, postcards from heaven, if you will. Jared Wilson calls the parables postcards from the revolution. He says, the parables are postcards from heaven. Wish you were here, they say. Supernaturally, however, they can transport us exactly to the place they depict, the place where God's kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jesus conducts his kingdom ministry, he lays these stories on thick, seeding the alien nation of God with rumors of that other world, casting shadows of the realer reality like flickering images on the walls of Plato's cave. The parables of Jesus aren't merely stories that Jesus is telling around a campfire or sitting under a tree. They are not just sentimental vignettes. They are not sweet little bedtime stories. They are not ancient versions of chicken soup for the soul. They are not short stories with morals and lessons that we are to learn. If we view them that way, then we have misread them. Too often the parables have been preached and taught as stories about how we should live. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. In the parables, Jesus is highlighting the counterintuitive nature of God's kingdom. How God turns things upside down. How he doesn't play by our rules. Yes, there are some imperatives, there are some commandments that can be gleaned out of the parables, but that's not the purpose of the parables. The parables in Scripture are not about behavior modification. They are not stories that are telling us that we can and should get better. The parables are actually showing us what the kingdom of God is like and how it invades this world, how Jesus is leading a revolution, how he is making all things new. The parables show us what the kingdom of God is and what it's like. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is his rule. It's his reign. When Jesus said back in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 that the kingdom of God was at hand, he was referring to himself. Jesus was not saying that the coming kingdom was only something that happened far off into the future. The people that Jesus said this to did not have these elaborate and detailed end-time charts and maps with timelines about the nation of Israel. They didn't start making connections with Russia and these locust helicopters and barcodes being implanted into our wrists and foreheads. They didn't start writing books about the late great planet Earth or things to come or speculating on the rapture. They looked at Jesus and they said, the kingdom's here now. It's arriving and advancing in this world now because Jesus is here. Jesus understood the kingdom of God to mean that the present fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies was happening in real time, manifested in his person and work. Yes, the kingdom of God has a future component to it, 
The kingdom of God has what scholars refer to as an already not yet aspect. It was already present in the person of Jesus as he began making all things new. And yet it's not yet present as we also await the consummation of it in the future. When Jesus finally and fully makes all things new. It's already here, but not yet. And so the fulfillment is there in the person of Jesus, and yet the kingdom is still to come. And the kingdom is there in the person of Jesus, and yet the fulfillment is still to come. Dallas Willard described the kingdom of God this way. It's God reigning. It's where what God wants done gets done. That's the kingdom of God. It's God reigning. But the parables are not merely telling us about the kingdom of God. They are telling us about the king who reigns. Therefore, the parables are not stories that are giving us ideas about behavior modification and how we can become better. The parables are actually designed to draw our hearts to Jesus, to King Jesus. They're designed to give us back our awe. The parables are postcards from heaven that say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is how Jesus works. Here's Jesus, the king you always wanted. The parables are all about King Jesus and how his kingdom works and how it is advancing in the world right now. It's all about how he is leading a rebellion against the devil, against sin, against sickness, darkness, everything that is broken in this world. It's about how he is reversing the curse. The parables are all about the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, which Jesus came preaching. He said that in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The parables are about how Jesus is making all things new right now. How he is making all sad things come untrue. How, as Jared Wilson says, everything rad is coming true. Now, some of you don't know what the word rad means, but being a child of the 80s, some of us in here do, and that was a word that we used, and I still use it, but it's a word that we used to describe something that was awesome or something that was really cool. We would say, oh man, that's so rad. Everything rad, the parables are telling us. Everything like totally awesome about Jesus is coming true, dude. That's what the parables are saying. And that's our big idea today. Everything rad is coming true. Everything rad, everything awesome is like totally coming true. Now let me show you where I'm getting that. Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and in yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
So the crowds following Jesus at this point are so great that he must hop into this boat and use this uh, portable pulpit to teach the people. And he begins by telling them what is commonly called the parable of the sower. But notice here in verse 3 that Jesus calls them to first listen and then to use their imagination to picture what he is saying. He says, listen, and then he says, look, behold, use your imagination, picture this. Jesus says, listen up. And now that they're listening, he begins his story and says, look, use the eye of your imagination and see the sower going out and sowing. And so Jesus begins to tell them a parable about a man who goes out sowing seed liberally. I mean, this guy does not have a category for wasting things. He's like Oprah here. There's seed for everyone. Look under your chairs, people. There's seed for you and for you and for you. This guy goes crazy like Oprah. Seed is going everywhere. And the seed falls on four types of ground, Jesus tells us. The path, the rocky ground the thorns, and the good soil. The four soils here are a picture of the crowds that are following Jesus. In the great crowds that follow Jesus, every person's heart is one of these four soils. And of the four soils, only one receives the seed and produces a crop, and that's the good soil. The good soil is a picture of the believer, the one who is trusting in Jesus. And they receive the seed, which Jesus would tell us later is the word of God or the gospel. And the word or seed that is sown is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom that Jesus said he came preaching back in chapter 1. And since the parables come from the mouth of Jesus, notice this, they themselves have the power to open eyes and to open ears to behold what they are revealing. Because the parables come from the mouth of Jesus, they themselves have the power to open eyes and open ears. That's what Jesus says in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Only those who have their eyes opened by Jesus can understand the parables, which is exactly what Jesus says next. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus gets alone with the 12 disciples and a group of other people, and they ask him about the parable of the sower. And Jesus tells them that the reason he speaks in parables is to exclude those who are on the outside. This group that's with Jesus is made up of insiders, those who trust in Jesus and therefore are privy to the secrets of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gives a startling reason as to why he speaks in parables so that those on the outside won't get the truth, so they won't understand. Now let that sink in. I know it goes against our everybody who plays gets a trophy mentality, but Jesus said it, so if you think it's unfair, you need to take it up with him. Is Jesus actually saying that he speaks in parables in order to make sure that people won't hear and understand the truth of God's kingdom? Yes. Yes, he is. And when he says this, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah who said the same thing. People will see, 
but not perceive. People will hear, but not understand. That's why Jesus began by saying, listen, look, because his word has the power to open eyes and to open ears. The parables spoken by Jesus have the power to enlighten the elect and also to harden unbelievers. This is how the gospel works. Some people hear it and they receive it as good news. And some people are angered by it. The Apostle Paul calls the message of gospel the aroma of Christ in 2 Corinthians 3. Which some people receive as a sweet smelling fragrance that brings life and then more life and then more life. And then some people, Paul says, unbelievers, receive the gospel as the stench of death. The good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom to some people is like coming up on a body that's been in the trunk of a car in Texas in the summer for a month and you open the trunk of the car. Some people respond to the gospel that way. This is terrible. That's how the parables are because they contain the good news of the kingdom. They open the eyes and the ears of the elect and harden those of unbelievers. So what about you this morning? Is the gospel good news for you? Is it a sweet-smelling fragrance to you that you never get tired of hearing? Or is it the stench of death? Eternity depends on it. Your eternity depends on it. I pray that you receive it as a sweet-smelling fragrance. I pray that you receive it as good news. Speaking of good news, there's good news in verse 13. Because we're kind of dumb like the disciples, aren't we? We're slow to understand. We're not that bright. And yet Jesus doesn't cast us away. That's good news for dummies like us, isn't it? Look at verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Jesus begins to explain the parable of the sower for the disciples and for those who are gathered with them. This is like parables for dummies like those books but Jesus is patient and he begins to explain it and this is also why the parables are not merely sermon illustrations like some people argue because if they are just sermon illustrations then Jesus was a terrible preacher because these people have no clue as to what he's talking about his illustration wasn't very effective if that's all the parables are as sermon illustrations because they don't understand them So Jesus graciously explains it. In the crowds following Jesus, there are four kinds of soils, four kinds of people, four kinds of hearts that react differently when the gospel is sown. The seed that was sown on the path that the birds ate, that person hears the good news, but Satan comes and steals it immediately. 
And the seed that was sown on the rocky ground, that person hears the gospel, and at first they are excited and full of joy, and they love this good news, but they have no root in themselves. And when they get persecuted for following Jesus, or when hardships come, they walk away from him. And then there's the the seed that fell among the thorns. They hear the gospel, but all the cares of this world distract them. And they're deceived by riches and the desire for other things. And eventually the gospel is choked out of their lives and they bear no fruit. But please understand that Jesus is not saying that these three soils, that these three kinds of people became Christians and then somehow lost their salvation. He's not saying that at all. You can't become a Christian and then lose your salvation. That is impossible. It is impossible to become a Christian and then, quote, unquote, lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation, trust me, you would. And so would I. But we can't. Thank God. Once we are in union with Christ, we will always be in union with Christ. These three soils are people who never experience regeneration. They are never born again. They are never made alive spiritually. They are never truly regenerated, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, even though they may look like it for a season. And we have all known people like this before, right? We know people, they look like a Christian. It looks like I see fruit in their life. They're using the language. They're showing up at church, and they eventually just fall away. But let me say something very important here. It is not up to us to discern if someone is a Christian or not. It is not up to us to discern if that person is rocky soil or that person is thorny. Only Jesus truly knows As Paul tells Timothy, let me tell you and then we'll move on. This is one of my favorite verses. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. You don't know. I don't know. We could take a guess. We could look and say, yeah, it seems like they're a believer. But only the Lord knows. The Lord knows those who are his. And if you don't believe me, then listen to what Jesus says about the matter. You can take it up with Paul, but then you're going to take it up with Jesus, and I don't recommend that. I mean, you can. He'll listen to you, but you'll be wrong always, right? John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Jesus knows those who are his. You don't, and I don't. He does. And that's really what the parable of the sower is about. Jesus knows. His sheep hear his voice, which is the voice of the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom, which is exactly what the parables are all about. So these three soils, on the path, among the thorns, and on the rocks, you don't want to be them. You want to be soil number four, the good soil, because the good soil hears the word, it hears the gospel, and it bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The good soil hears the good news of the gospel about God's crazy love for sinners. It accepts it, it receives it, and then it bears fruit. The word of Jesus, the gospel, not only opens blind eyes and regenerates sinners, it also has the power to cause fruit to come forth in a Christian's life. The gospel, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, causes fruit to come forth in your life and in mine. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of us in Galatians 5. It's the Spirit of God producing fruit in our lives when we expose ourselves to the gospel. What Jesus is saying in the parable of the sower is exactly what the Westminster Divine said in question 75 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. They said this, question 75, what is sanctification? Answer, sanctification is a work of God's grace whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time, notice this, through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, that's applying the gospel, hearing the gospel over and over again, they are renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. That's Mark 4. That's the parable of the sower. It's through the powerful operation of the Spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. We didn't make this thing up. The Westminster divines were talking about preaching the gospel to yourself over and over again. Applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto your heart. That's it. As we have the finished work of Christ applied to our lives, we are renewed after God's image. We bear fruit by God's grace as the love of Christ gets down into our pores. Jesus said it this way in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, Jesus says, and you will bear much fruit. And so the million-dollar question is, what in the world does it mean to abide in Christ? Now, we know this verse. We've read this verse a hundred times. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, fortunately for us, since we're kind of slow and dumb like the disciples, Jesus tells us the answer a few verses later. In John 15, 9 through 10, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's fruit bearing for dummies. Abide in me. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means we abide in his love. When we abide in the love of Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Fruit is not produced when you hear, do more, try harder, get your act together, obey for crying out loud. That does not produce fruit. What does produce fruit in your life? When you hear repeatedly that God loves you in spite of your performance for him. 
That's abiding in the love of Jesus. That's when fruit happens. When you hear repeatedly over and over again that God loves you in spite of your performance, in spite of how you behave. When you hear repeatedly, it's not what you do for God, but what Jesus has done for you. When you hear that all the pressure is off and you have been accepted in the beloved. When you hear repeatedly that it is finished. That's when fruit comes. The Holy Spirit works with that. He takes that. That very simple message. God made it simple because we're idiots. Anybody can understand the gospel. Jesus loves you. He lived for you and he died for you. God raised him from the dead and he's coming back again. That simple message, the Holy Spirit works with that. He takes that, the finished work of Jesus, the crazy good news of God's love for sinners, and when that message gets down into the nooks and crannies of your heart, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. It's fruit-bearing for dummies. It's a very simple message. Anybody can understand it. Anybody can rehearse it. That's why Martin Luther said, you know what, even if you go be a missionary and they don't have the scriptures yet, they can have the gospel and bear fruit because all they need is the gospel. Do we want them to get the rest of God's word? Absolutely. But if they're depending upon the complete translation of God's word into their language before they can grow, my goodness, what pressure. You know how long it takes to learn a language and come up with an alphabet? Just ask Tim and Tiffany Lanier. But you can take the gospel, which is a very simple message, and share it with people when they believe they can rehearse that thing over and over again. And the Spirit can take that and bring about fruit in their lives. Fruit bearing for dummies. That's why Martin Luther said this. Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teacheth me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me, to wit that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, that's the gospel, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Know the gospel, beat it into your head, here comes fruit. Know the gospel, beat it into other people's head, here comes fruit. That's fruit bearing for dummies like us. And that's why Luther also said this, every week I preach justification by faith to my people Because every week they forget it. And you may have thought that I forgot that there are three more parables to go. But I haven't. The next three parables that we're going to look at will also teach us that because of King Jesus, everything rad is coming true. Look at verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For 
For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's what Jesus is saying here. He is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp in this parable. He will not be hidden under the Pharisees' rules and regulations and ideas about what the Messiah would be like and about what he would do. The secret of the kingdom, Jesus is saying, that was hidden in the Old Testament is now being revealed in the person and work of Jesus. It's being put on a stand for all to see. It's not being hidden under a bed or under a basket now being revealed through the gospel he's saying no more hiding no more old testament shadows the king is here is what jesus is saying the lamp is here shining forth the light of the gospel and to those who respond to this message his word his gospel jesus says more will be given and to those like the pharisees and the religious leaders what they have heard if they refuse he says even that will be taken away They will see, Jesus says, but they will not perceive. They will hear, but they will not understand. And because they don't see and believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah, Jesus says they will not turn and therefore will not be forgiven. Jesus is the lamp. He's not hidden anymore. You can't put him under the Pharisee's bushel. He's here. And how we respond to him is important. Now look at verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This parable is actually very humbling. A man sows seed and goes to bed. And while he's doing whatever it is that he's doing, sleeping, drinking his coffee, checking social media, whatever, the seed grows. We're supposed to be humbled by this. Why? Because we're dummies as to how the kingdom of God works. We think we know how this thing works, but we're actually clueless. Too often we think that we have this thing figured out. Here's how people change, according to our thinking. Here's how we think people change. Tell them to get their act together. Give them the law. Kids, obey your parents. Straighten up. Obey. Come on, bro. Start producing some fruit. I do this as a parent all the time. And we're surprised when none of this works. As if nagging people and barking orders brings about spiritual maturity and love for the Lord. When has nagging people and barking orders ever brought about spiritual maturity or love for the Lord? If we lead with law, lead with get your act together, I need to see some fruit, bro. If we do that, we'll actually stifle people's growth. They'll get burned out and discouraged. What we need to lead with is awe, not law. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Paul Tripp said, disobedience is first an awe problem before it's a law problem. Spiritual growth is about recapturing your awe. You could argue that Christian growth is a growth in my awe of God. The thing that dominates me more and more is the wonder of God and the wonder of my attachment to God by grace. That's how you grow, awe. Not law. 
Telling people what Jesus has done for them, not what they must do for God, is what causes spiritual growth. Getting the seed of the gospel down into the soil of our hearts. It seems like I heard that concept somewhere. Good news produces good works. Are we supposed to have good works in our life? Absolutely. What produces that good works? It's good news. Time and time again, churches and Christians have thought programs and strategies produce fruit and cause churches to grow spiritually. And Jesus is actually humbling us here in this parable and saying that it's mysterious. It's mysterious because one simple message is all we need, the gospel. Tim Keller said, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. That's humbling. It's humbling because the power lies outside of us and resides in the gospel itself. It's not just humbling. If we're honest, it's frustrating too. It's disturbing. It's frustrating and disturbing because we cannot put Jesus in a box. How do people grow in Christ? Jesus tells us two times in Mark 4, scatter seed. It's simple. Multiple exposures to the gospel. Multiple exposures to God's word. Scatter seed all over the place, he's saying. Share the gospel all the time. Rehearse it. Talk about it. Preach about the same thing week after week. Beat it into people's heads continually. Make the one thing of your church the gospel and people will grow. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark 4. And how does it all take root and grow in someone's life? How does the gospel, this very simple message, how does it take root and grow in somebody's life? Beats me. <laughs> I have no idea. We just shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know, but Jesus does. We just preach the gospel and it brings forth fruit. To quote Martin Luther again, he said this about his role in bringing about the Protestant Reformation it's basically what Jesus is saying here, minus the beer portion that I'm going to mention. Luther says, take me, for example. I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with Philip of Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Had I wanted to start trouble, I could have started such a little game at Worms that even the emperor wouldn't have been safe. But what would it have been? A mugs game. I did nothing. I left it to the word. That's it. The gospel does it all. The word does it all. According to what Jesus is saying, is it's not my job, it's not your job, it's not anyone else's job to make things happen here in the church. Let me say that again and to borrow a word from Jesus and his teaching style. Listen. Listen. According to what Jesus is saying, it's not my job, it's not your job or anyone else's job to make things happen in the church. That's humbling. It's our job to scatter seed, the seed of the gospel everywhere, and then watch the Spirit work. That's humbling. 
And so is the last parable that Jesus shares. Look at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus' point here is not that the mustard seed is the smallest seed. His point is that the mustard seed is small. It's not much to look at. It doesn't look promising. And neither do we. Which is why this parable is humbling too. When you look at Christians and when you look at churches, we're not that impressive. We're weak. We need a savior. We can't do it in our own strength. I mean, who would come up with this plan? Only Jesus. He takes a ragtag group of people and uses them with a very simple message to extend his kingdom in this world. That's grace. Misfits, weaklings, nobodies, losers, dummies. And through us, the kingdom advances and grows. That's his point here. God is using his bride, using his people to extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth so that through the gospel, he might redeem a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Because of King Jesus and through his ragtag group of misfits, weaklings, nobodies, losers, and dummies, everything rad is coming true. We get to join Jesus on this mission it's incredible. And the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to be strong or impressive to get involved. It actually helps if you're not bright or strong or impressive. Let me say that again. It actually helps if you're not strong or bright or impressive. God uses dummies. He specializes in using dummies, and that's good news for this dummy. But it's also humbling because I have to admit that I'm a dummy. But that's where the freedom is. Weak people can wield the power of the gospel by simply scattering seed and watching it grow into a tree that spreads its branches far and wide. Jared Wilson said, Through the news of the saving life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same God who made humans from dirt will make a mighty church out of dirty people. Here is a picture of rest, but also of the gathering of the resters. The tiny seed grows into a kingdom that will welcome people from every tongue, tribe, race, and nation. And here is truth that is humbling and empowering at the same time. God's will might be for our smallness, but it is not for his. The kingdom of God is unstoppable and unfathomable because it grows exponentially. Everywhere the gospel goes, the gospel is doing its work. As the sower sows the seed, preaching the gospel, testifying to its truth with their good works, making disciples, planting churches, sending out sowers to replicate the work in new places, the branches begin to grow out, spreading to embrace the sun of righteousness that gives them life. And the disciples make disciples who make disciples. And the churches plant churches that plant churches. And the gospel does not return void. 
The whole world will eventually be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God, every nook and cranny gleaming with the celestial beauty of our faithful Redeemer. There's no greater story. There's no greater mission. No better way for you to spend your time and your talent and your treasure than linking arms with Jesus. But each of us individually are called to do the work as well. Not just as a church, but individually we are tasked with taking this good news to our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces. And if you're struggling for the right words to get a conversation started, because we do, right? For most of us, sharing the gospel is difficult. If you're struggling for the right words to get a conversation started, I have found what Steve Brown said to be very helpful. And I shared this a few sermons back, but it's too good not to share again. Because I suspect many of us struggle to share the good news that we so cherish. And Steve Brown said this, let me ask you something. Do you know a single pagan who stayed away from Christ because a Christian did not act as holy and as sanctified as he or she ought to have acted? I know they will say we're hypocrites, but usually that is just a smokescreen. The truth is what repeatedly kills our witness is pretense, not freedom. It would be so refreshing to say to our unbelieving friends, I really mess up sometimes, but let me tell you something really good. God is still quite fond of me. Wouldn't it be great if you belonged to a God like that? If we were that honest, the world would beat a path to our door. And yes, when you scatter the seed of the gospel, people will accuse you or accuse Christians or the church of being hypocrites. They'll say, the church is full of hypocrites. And when they say that, you just winsomely reply, no, it's not full of hypocrites. There's room for more. Want to join us? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you as the pastor of this church, I really mess up sometimes. But let let me tell you something really good. God is still quite fond of me. Wouldn't it be great if you belonged to a God like that? You can belong to him if you fess up to your sin and rebellion and you open the empty hands of faith. Wouldn't it be great if you belonged to a God like that? And if you're a Christian today and you do belong to Jesus, go scatter some seed and watch Jesus do what Jesus does so well. The parables are telling us that nothing can stop the kingdom of God. They are painting a gigantic picture of redemption, the restoration of the cosmos, the redemption of sinners, and the sovereignty of King Jesus over all things. It's coming true. All of it is. It's coming true in and through and because of King Jesus. So read the parables And be reminded of this. Be encouraged. Read the parables and be drawn to Jesus, the king you always wanted. And be in awe of him. Read the parables and be reminded that the words in this book are true. Revelation 21, 5, write them down. They are trustworthy and true. The words in this book are true. Not what you see on TV or hear on social media. This, all of this book is coming true, despite what you see and hear out there. I know there's just, every time I watch the news or get on social media, I'm depressed, honestly. It's like, again, more? More sadness? More brokenness? And that can kind of filter my worldview and how I see things. This book is true. It's coming true. 
Despite what you see and hear on social media, the kingdom of God very often looks like it's not working. Very often the kingdom of God looks like it's not even working, it's not even doing anything. But that's when it is working. It works below the surface, behind the scenes, advancing. The seed sows, we go about our business and turn around and it's grown and there's birds in there. That's how God's kingdom works. And part of the evidence of God's kingdom advancing, if you just want it locally for us, is out there on that wall where we have our evidence of grace. Grab a post-it note and write down what God's been doing in your life so we can read it and be encouraged and say the kingdom is advancing. The seed is growing. Read the parables and be reminded that because of Jesus, everything rad is coming true. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're not like us and you're different. Your ways are not our ways. We would choose the path of flashy showmanship. Everybody look at us glitter and sparkly stuff everywhere, a sad case of our attempt at glory, and you come and are so counterintuitive, you're working behind the scenes, underneath layers and layers, and you're extending your kingdom, and we are not like you at all. You are holy, you are good, you are merciful, you are kind. May we receive your grace, Father, and trust that your word is trustworthy and true. And go just scatter good news everywhere and just watch the Spirit work. Would you help us to do that as a church and as individuals? In Jesus' name, amen.